0: We're continuing our series on baptism and unpacking all the meanings that, or at least some of the meanings that the waters of baptism can have for our lives. We are claimed by God's love in baptism. That is the most fundamental core part of it, but there are deeper resonances with other stories throughout the Bible. So today we have one of the most ancient and archetypal stories of water in the Bible. It's from Exodus 14, verses 10 through 22. As Pharaoh drew closer, the Israelites looked back and saw the Egyptians marching toward them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the desert? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt like this? Didn't we tell you the same thing in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us work for the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to work for the Egyptians than to die in the desert. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand your ground and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never, ever see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to get moving. As for you, lift your shepherd's rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and split it in two. So that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. But me, I'll make the the Egyptians stubborn so that they will go in after them. And I'll gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, all his army, his chariots, and his cavalry. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his cavalry. God's messenger, who had been in front of Israel's camp, moved and went behind them. The column of cloud moved from the front and took its place behind them. It stood between Egypt's camp and Israel's camp. The cloud remained there. When darkness fell, it lit up the night. They didn't come near each other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord pushed the sea back by a strong east wind all night, turning the sea into dry land. And the waters were split in two, and the Israelites walked into the sea on dry ground. The waters formed a wall for them on their right hand and on their left. The word of God for the people of God, Thanks be to God. It's amazing, isn't it? Incredible. Almost unbelievable. Maybe this is one of those stories that for you is unbelievable. There are many efforts by scientists of all stripes to explain how this might have happened, what natural phenomenon might have lined up perfectly that day to make this work. And maybe that helps you. Maybe. But I think, along the lines of one Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, who said that this is a story not to be explained, but experienced. It was the experience of the Hebrews. That they were enslaved and they were set free, and there was no way forward, and then God made a way out of no way. And that is our experience, too. This story tells us that the trajectory of divine love is always toward liberation. That is the story we were baptized into. Ever since that experience, whatever it was, people have turned to this story to be reminded, to experience once more, that the trajectory of divine love is always toward liberation. Where there is bondage or oppression or stuckness, the movement of God is always toward parting the seas and setting us free. It's no wonder that people who were enslaved clung to this story. Wade in the water, they sang to one another, calling each other toward freedom in the land of liberation. There's a reason Harriet Tubman was known as Moses. God wills liberation for us. Always has. Still does. Liberation from all that denies or demeans or diminishes life. Habits of consumption that overwhelm the earth and bring us no true pleasure. The hamster wheel of work and productivity that never actually goes anywhere, just saps us of our liveliness. The multitude of demands on our attention that do not fulfill but just ensnare us in meaninglessness. The demons in our own heads, in our own hearts. The illnesses that fill us with despair. The state that imprisons more than two million people. The racist structures, the addictions, the deaths of despair. God intends liberation. Full, complete, setting free. No half measures. No good enough. No, this is the best we can do. Let's settle for it. But nothing less than true, full life for all of God's children. It is almost as hard for me to believe in that vision as it is to believe that the waters parted on that day. Even a few moments of honest reflection tell us we need a way out of this stuck place. We cannot stay in the situations we are in. The earth cannot sustain it. We need out. And for generation upon generation, for millennia, people have turned to this story as a promise that the trajectory of divine love is always toward liberation. As my systematic theology professor would preach, God is nothing less than loving Freedom. But how exactly does this happen? How do we get from where we are to that point of liberation that seems to hover always beyond the horizon? How do we get there? There's a whole series of commands for the Israelites at the beginning of this passage. Don't be afraid. Stand your ground. Watch the Lord rescue you. The Lord will fight for you. Just keep still. That sounds a bit like twiddling our thumbs while we wait and look heavenward for some magical thing to make it all better. Doing that hasn't gotten us out of the situation we're in. There's another command though. Tell the Israelites to get moving. So which is it? Keep still or get moving? There's something interesting going on in the text here. The prevailing theory for some time has been that the Hebrew Bible is composed of various sources that editors then put together. Each source comes from a different time, a different community, and different circumstances. And the stories reflect those concerns. And sometimes those sources and the editors chose to tell those different stories back to back. We can see that in the stories of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. They are different stories with different concerns and different lessons about humanity and God and the earth. And the editors didn't make a mistake putting them both in. They didn't just not notice that they were repeating themselves— with contradictions. No, they weren't stupid. They were very sophisticated. They knew that God can't be pinned down to any one interpretation, any one understanding. And so we need it both. We need this story and that. It's a both and situation. Sometimes the way these sources work together isn't quite so clear-cut. Sometimes scholars think two or more sources get really mixed together, embedded in one another, smushed together in the same story, maybe within the same paragraphs or the same sentences. So if they're right about that, there's something interesting going on here. They think that verse 14, just keep still, is from a different source then verse 15, get moving. And the editors wanted both. It's not just keep still. And it's not just get moving. It's both. And the Lord will fight for you. Stand still. God has something for you to do. Get moving. I have to admit, I'm more prone to the second most of the time. I don't always know what to do, but that doesn't stop me. I'll do something, anything, to get out of a situation I don't like or to try to fix something that seems wrong. The desire to do something, anything, is so powerful. There is so much that is broken. How can we not wade into those waters, stand up, lift our voices, sit down and protest, do something. Scripture shows us again and again and again that God works through people's actions. So we need to act. But if we stop there, we're missing something. Liberation is beyond us. We are only able to go so far. There are powers of death that are beyond our control. And sometimes we need to stand still. Don't just do something, stand there. I have heard that from many sources, including Anthony Bourdain and some of you in this room. But the most memorable time I heard it was from my obstetrician. And she walked in right as it was time to give birth to my kids. She said, this is how I'm going to approach this. I'm not going to just do something. I'm going to stand there. Which was not comforting as I embarked on delivering a high-risk pregnancy. I really wanted her to do something. But she said, when I just wade in and start doing stuff, I mess things up. There is more to the power of birth and life than we have control over. So I don't always just do something. Sometimes I wait. We need that word as well. We need to get moving. and We need to stand still and let the Lord fight. Because the problems that we face are bigger than we are. Do something. Yes, there is work to be done. But not only that. Be on the lookout. God is making a way out of no way that we can scarcely envision or imagine. And we need to be watching for that. Joining in that. It doesn't originate with us. We join it. God is the God of liberation, and the trajectory of divine love is always toward loving freedom. For each of us, and for all of us, this is our birthright in baptism. When we are baptized, the waters that flow down over us are not only claiming us in God's love, but they are also walking us through the sea of liberation, whether it is in our daily lives or in our internal struggles, or in the big crises of the world. God is walking us through those waters of liberation, through our lifetimes and beyond. Here's the promise. God intends freedom for creation. Not freedom from one another, but freedom for one another. The world, every square inch of it, is intended to be set free from all the powers of death. There is work to be done, and we are baptized to do that work. And there is work being done on our behalf, and we are baptized into a trust in that. We do not choose between the two. We trust in the waters of baptism in all the ways they bring about liberation in us, through us, and for us. Because the trajectory of divine love is always toward liberation. Amen.